Welcome to Startup Data Science. This is Alex. I'm really excited about this week's podcast. So we're um, doing lesson three, part one. So just going over the lesson three video material. Somebody want to give a summary of what happened? I'll have to admit I didn't quite get to the to everything. I only listened to half of it actually. So I'm gonna rely on someone else to do it. Do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? Okay, I'll do it. Um, yeah, so uh, lesson three. <laughs> lesson three, we basically did a review of the second lesson. We covered CNN architecture. We talked about like what zero padding is. We even talked about what convolutions are. Um, in this case, he actually gave specific I guess examples of like different types of convolutions. He talked about like what's the difference between conv- convolution and correlation. He also talked about um, the softmax um, as a way to I think scale the outputs at the very last part of the neural network. Um, but yeah, after all of these things, he talked about fine tuning, like what it means. Throwing, throwing away later layers. But then after all of that, he spends um, some time discussing like uh, how to basically model with these mach- uh, neural networks. So he talked about like underfitting and overfitting. He talked about dropout, which is a way to make sure that your super complex model becomes less complex over time. And uh, yeah, I think that covers a lot of it. Cool. Cool. All right. Then um, I guess what emotional hardships did we overcome, I guess, to, to get through this part of the course and then continue learning data science. Um, so, yeah, I can say, you know, this week was a hard week. Um, I got sick and I've been sick for the past week. So I've just been doing like a lot of half days and also I think, yeah, Blocker for me was just getting started. I was just like, uh, you know, I like just listening, um, even though I know you can listen in small spurts, especially it would have been especially good. I, I think the thing that was missing for me was, um, like a block of time that I had pre allotted to just dedicate to data science, even if it's just 20 minutes. So that's um, something I'm going to do every day from now on. 20 minutes of data science. Um, and it'll be a lot easier for me, I think, just to at least make regular progress over time and, you know, get some momentum. So uh, that was uh, a blocker for me that I had to overcome and did not do so successfully this week, but will uh, next week. It's, so that's why it's good to like check back every week. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, it was uh, also a hard week. There was um, my daughter was not well, so most of my time was spent in taking care of her. So I couldn't find much time. This uh, lesson three also entails much more theory, and at at least for me, I need uh, big chunks of time to do theory because it's not something that I can just pick up wherever I left off the day after or something like coding 
and it was especially difficult for me to actually find those chunks of time uh, 90 minutes or 2 hours but uh, i i managed it uh, in 2 days spanning over 3 hours per day and uh, it's similar to alex i'm not very happy with the amount of progress i made but then i checked in i did something so there's that satisfaction well, for me like yeah I, i feel like i also haven't gotten to the point of like progress like where i wanted to be um i felt like i wanted to yeah like first of all like finish the cats and dogs submission like i haven't even done that yet and so yeah, i'm also like a little bit behind but what i'm excited about though is like at work we were thinking of actually like using this stuff to maybe predict like what's happening in the actual classroom like between teachers and students yeah 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 yeah. So like for those people who uh, don't remember what I do. So yeah, I'm an engineer at like uh, Lingo Live. Um we connect uh teachers and students. Um students are usually ones who like want to get better at communication. Usually they're like uh e- ESL, but what? it's not necessarily Whoa, ESL yeah. to like do <laughs> our program. But anyway, um even our like product person um was already thinking about machine learning late, later on at the end of the year about like what we can do like how much kind of information we can uh gather like we can maybe tell how much um the student is taking charge of the 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 interaction over time so maybe like first of, it might have been like 10% to 90% um student to teacher discussion but later maybe it becomes more 50-50 ratio and maybe like it'll show that people are actually either getting better or getting worse in terms of like contributing to a conversation so um yeah like this suddenly now becomes like a lot more relevant it's not just me that uh is just like yeah i want to do more like machine learning as as opposed to just like working on what I, what i think the regular things are um but now i feel like there is an understanding between like tech and products so that's that's good uh that's baller um now that you mention it uh you know i did look ahead to the future lessons to see the content which i actually hadn't done like i didn't actually even read the titles of every lesson because i was just like well i'm not going to know what they mean even honestly uh if it, you talked to me like a few months ago but um so but I'm looking at it and they they do neural linguistic programming or NLP I'm yeah, not really actually sure Yeah it's uh, natural language processing that's the right yeah. acronym but uh it's <laughs> a uh, natural language but, processing Neuro-language language pro- processing, yeah. excuse me. Neuro-linguistic <laughs> program is something totally different and I, I was under the similar misconception that it's probably the same thing, but it's something way different. <laughs> it's way different. Like, okay, I've actually word. heard about it. Like, if you're really into, like, Tony Robbins or, like, yeah, like, really self-help people, uh, uh, like, some uh, people that, right, right. are really into that and it's, like, related to, like, hypnosis and, like, it's right. way, way, way different, so... <laughs> actually do NLP so never mind i just didn't know that's what it was called but um yeah there's this book um called what mind hackers that i read that i really liked that uses 
uh, neuro linguistic programming, I guess, to, I guess, suggest for like unconscious habits that you want to get rid of. But, um, yeah, okay, natural language processing. Yeah, I'm yeah excited they're doing natural too. language processing, which I'm really excited about. Wow. Because, um, I'm excited too. That's something that I think I will use for my eventually. But so that that kept me pumped because I was like, okay, it's gonna come. Like I'm, I don't care that much about image recognition, but like NLP, the natural language processing one, I am really really excited about. Oh yeah, any other emotional like things that you're excited about or that you've overcome? Um, I guess that was okay so hard pass and in hard feature like yeah any concepts that you're excited about through the lens of your own perspective um, for this lesson I guess yeah it was good to review like what convolutions were like um, I found that to be comforting because it linked I guess lesson zero um to sort of the present so it's good to like have that um like turnaround wrap review like uh and correct me if i'm wrong like a convolution is it's a fingerprint more or less that you can take of a um i guess if you have an image that's represented as a matrix of numbers where, for instance, like white is zero and black is one, and like gray is somewhere in between, then, um, or like zero to 256, whatever you want. Um, like the, you have like those different layers, I guess after a linear layer, um, where you like perform a, some multiplication or division or whatever operation on that matrix when you represent it in a certain way like you'll tend to get a certain pattern and that pattern will be totally different for in the simple case uh like an eight versus a seven it'll be totally different like what the pattern is and that's like a convolution it's actually looking at just a portion of like because I guess if you have a seven by seven grid of pixels to form the image, and then you actually divide it into like smaller pieces, you only look at three by three at a time. Like you expect like the fifth uh, like set of three by three like things to respond a certain way if it's an eight versus a seven and that's like the convolution fingerprint i don't know is that am i understanding like the things that i'm hearing because i it's good to like get some feedback from like talking but my sense was that i was like yeah i think i like remember what a convolution is like didn't necessarily know if that was the same thing as correlate or whatever but or convolve that was actually a question i had but yeah, I'm going to stop there. Yeah. Um, so as someone who's taken a digital signal processing course, um, so at least, well, what I did in college was actually, instead of digital signal, it's actually di digital image processing. So like it was actually with images, um, image as a signal. Uh, in this case, um, like what we did was we wanted to 
maybe blur an image or actually uh, make the, uh, I guess, edges sharper, aka edge detection. So one thing we did was, so you have an image and then you have a filter, maybe it's a three by three, like a set of pixels or a five by five or a six by six. Um, and then you, like I think of convolution as like sliding multiplication and addition. Um, once you do that, you have the convolution of the um, objects. So yeah, you have an image, then you have a filter you either convolve or correlate an image with a filter, which gives you, I guess, another image. Uh, wait, so you're saying, so you're saying that a convolve or correlate is the same thing as doing that sliding multiplication into another image or? Um, like convolution and correlation are actually like very similar. Um, it's just that, well, at least with uh, Jeremy, he, he thinks like convolution is like the 90 degrees rotation. Um, like you I rotate see. either an image or the actual filter, and then you do the um, correlation, and then uh. it's the same thing. But actually, um, if uh, once we once, if we do um, from algorithms to z-scores as well, like we you'll get to the point where um, it talks about convolutions as a way to compute like um, the sum of two random variables. This is just really random. Like, um, so let's say you have two dice, right? Like dice with six, I guess, faces. So the probability for, like just for one, one die, um, the probability of each roll is one sixth. But if you have two dice, let's say you, you wanted to get the sum of like getting a seven, which is the most fre frequent thing that you could get. You could actually calculate that mm. using convolution. <laughs> but yeah, this is just another like another like application, Wait, but in so a different, that, I guess. Domain. I'm still not but, sure yeah. if I understand exact. Like I, I remember like Jeremy motioning that it's like a 90 degree spin. Is that the same? Is convolution basically like a really specific like matrix operation yeah you can just think of it like correlation like if you get correlation then you will get convolution like uh, correlation is just again like you want to multiply let's say you have an image right you want to look at the top left corner of the image and start there and you move this filter this three by three filter from the very top left of the image to the to the right and then once you finish you go down, but for each of those, you, you actually multiply the point-wise objects. So the very top left corner of the, the image, you multiply that with the very top left corner of the filter, and then you do the same thing for each corresponding points. And then once you calculate that, you, you add it up, and you get this new, I guess, pixel value for that point. Wait, wait. So is the end result? Oh yeah. There are you go. saying this is actually the thing that condenses the information into like one value? It's like yeah. You had like that three by three, and then it's just like in summary, it's a point yes. seven five. Yes. Got it. Okay, now I get it. Thank you. Okay, I remember him going through all those steps. So I just like got a little mixed up with exactly what the name of each step was. So that was actually really helpful for me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I still need to watch it actually, because like, 
I understand the the like the specific things, but I still need to like see the general like whole idea of like where I know it's called convolutional neural network, but like I'm still actually like kind of unclear how that was different from the original neural network architecture that um, he showed using Excel. So mm. I'll, I'll have to like actually yeah. play around with code. But yeah. Oh. So the one he showed on Excel, he said that it was a fully connected neural network, which meant that there were uh, as many in, so the number of uh, rows in the weights was equal to the number of inputs. So when you did a matrix multiplier, you would get the, the activation numbers that you would get would be equal to the number of columns in the weight matrix and that is a fully connected neural network in convolution network uh, at least the way i understood it the key difference was you actually use max pooling in order to reduce the stack size of the images and uh, that is done because a lot of information is really unnecessary from pattern recognition point of view and it's kind of I see. it's computationally intensive also so the key is to in convolution neural networks you actually use max pooling it's just a method to decrease the resolution of the image it's like you have a very high if you imagine like you have your a photo which you cannot upload on linkedin because it exceeds a certain size limit and the way you do in a computer is you choose how many uh, pixel per inch you want and you basically decrease the resolution and that is similar to what I mean you can use the same analogy to what actually happens in max pooling for example so it's, it's max is it max pooling or max pooling actually never it's max pooling p-o-o-l-i-n-g so once you have a grid of the summary that we just talked about you again then make another 3 by 3 grid or 2 by 2 grid and kind of just select the maximum value in all those nine values and then that becomes another uh, image and then that's how you reduce the size of yeah, the image sense. stack the the question i had was so max pooling pooling that's like a is that that is the result of correlate or convolution like that is actually well that process more or less it, it is, is a right? part of the process yeah it is a part of the process of shrinking the image stacks because each filter is going to generate a different image a filtered image and the number of filters in each layer can vary from uh, it starts at I think 64 for VGG 16 and it ends up to be 512 or something until the last layer so those are the number of images that you're gonna get and that becomes computationally intensive so you try to shrink the images like you reduce the resolution mm. and it's part of the convolution neural network so the convolutional neural network just has the extra step of max pooling. Oh uh, yes, but there are also a few I'm more extra steps in that. Yeah, hmm. there's a ReLU, 
that also comes in play. Yeah, I think it's the one that's... I forget what it is. Yeah. Is that the max zero thing? It's like that just that formula, yeah. like the non-linear layer, quote-unquote? Yeah, you just normalize all the values, yeah, to be more than zero. Or equal to zero, right? Isn't that why max wait. zero x? Oh, wait, so, I was like, saying... It could be zero, but like... Um, as long as it's not negative, like you just find the maximum between those. Yeah. 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 And it makes sense because, uh, or I guess just the operation is just like, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why you want to make it zero or positive, but like, I guess in my mind, the function was just like this way. If things are like normally being transformed by these like predictable operations, this one just, if something's totally off, it'll get it back on the right track really quickly by making it zero. Or else, like, the max means it's getting closer to the value that it should be. The negative values are generally not desired so because the math might just blow up at some point mm -hmm. in the calculation. So it's yeah, a like, general practice. Yeah, the way I learned about uh, like neural networks back in, like, college days was that the way that it was inspired originally was, like, yeah, we're going to look at the brain and... Oh, look at these neurons. Are they firing or are they not firing? So originally, instead of the max zero x, instead of the rel u, um, they had the soft max function um, that maps again like uh, any input uh, as the domain and maps it to um, zero or one. So does it fire or does it not fire? Um, but I guess yeah, I think max zero x just gives somehow like a, a empirical better answer so i think that's why they're using it instead of like oh, the oh, soft max and other you, things okay so wait one quick clarifying question i had was just to summarize is the rel u is that that function max zero x yes it is okay cool um yes. yeah my understanding of why it makes it empirical empirically better i'm not yeah. sure what empirically means exactly but um just why it makes it better uh like experimentally, experimentally better okay nice like yeah instead of like oh like i have this theory that is like universally true like i'm gonna experiment and a bunch of scientists or like machine learning experts like just found this oh this is a generally good heuristic to have so, um, yeah like i yeah. think it doesn't blow up is great and uh also, like, because if it's really, like, the gradient descent thing, like, and it's mapping out the loss function, and it's using whatever the output is as a proxy for how good the estimation is, then, like, I feel like if it's a bad estimation, it'll, like, pop back to zero. And if it's a fine estimation, then it just stays around, like, the max being like what the original output was and i think that's why it's better is because it can like reset really quickly to like a good value that doesn't blow up and then and it doesn't like miss anything yeah it's that like, makes it sense. can't yeah that makes more sense to me now because it's like well we know it can't be negative it, it always confused me like why it was zero so then i'm like okay cool just like let's start at like where we know that we're not going to miss anything and then go up Sweet. Um, cool. I guess uh, next question is mind pass. Is there something that you wish you knew five hours ago that would save you time and energy while learning? 
I would say um, Jeremy does a great job of explaining stuff intuitively, but uh, he also has a lim time limitation and he has to actually introduce and explain a lot of concepts in a small amount of time. And uh, I found it beneficial to, if I don't understand something, I still listen through 10 or 15 minutes through the video just to see if he clarifies it. Otherwise, I would just, I just pause and uh, go to YouTube and just look for short videos with a more comprehensive explanation of whatever doubt I have. And I found that uh, technique particularly useful while listening to lesson three. Mm. Yeah, I don't really have any like mind pasts, so. <laughs> yeah, same. I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. And then uh, next would be mind future. <laughs> so clever ways to remember slash use concepts and skills. So if you have like something you learned and you're like, this is a clever way to remember this for me. Alright, this is not a clever way, yeah. but I remember this. Yeah, um, <laughs> I do like, I think at the very beginning of the lesson, I think they talked about how to better learn the process of like, like how do you actually use the notebooks to get the best, get the most out of it. Um, they talked about actually instead of just um, like running the code and seeing if there are any errors I really like that uh, they recommend people to actually start a new notebook and like kind of instead of copy pasting like think what should go next as you build the model uh, I like that's what I usually do anyway like when again like I'm like learning from algorithms to z-scores like I that's why I'm like actually writing my own simulation code as well like I feel like I really get to think about what the yeah the main objective is and how do I actually do it methodically and algorithmically um, so yeah I, I really like that yeah and I've been doing that too although it's been a minute since I've actually touched a Python notebook admittedly maybe a few weeks um, but I did find it hard because um, like the Python part was hard for me to read. And also I didn't necessarily have the context that I have now for like reading some of the code. So like, for example, when it is saying dot correlate, like, you know, I heard Jeremy's explanation of it and heard him actually explain what it is, but I still didn't put two and two together. And I was like, looking at the code, I'm like, uh, what is that correlate? Like, sounds like it's, um, you know, a statistics like math thing, but apparently it's, it's not really. I mean, it is used in math and statistics, but um, like, yeah, I think it's it's pretty simple if you like, you just get a pen and pencil and like actually do it. I think Wikipedia has an example of like a convolution as well. Oh, it has like a diagram, like a interactive diagram that might be helpful to visualize. For me, um, as Alex. I was also stuck for some time wondering what correlate and convolution is and uh, I found it really helpful to uh, kind of 
try to find an analogy in R which I am more comfortable with and then like go from there and then try to again come back to Python and uh, so that I found that very helpful so in R we actually do core plot and then that's when I actually realized exactly what matrix was being plotted it took me some time to figure out but then now that's what I have decided to do to find an analogy in R read about it and then again switch back to Python until I'm comfortable with Python yeah oh in R um, I mean, we have some in our code base yeah. because of uh, we kind of implemented yeah, Andrew, a little bit of algebra for the scheduling algorithm for Lingo Live. So there is a, there is a method called uh, correlate in there somewhere. Oh crap! Um, you're right. Actually, I think <laughs> okay, I'll look that up. Anyway, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Cool. Yeah, maybe I just need to study linear algebra actually really quick. So that I have a little bit more, a little more foundation. Final thing is, uh, yeah, main takeaway from this, this part of the lesson. And then for me, it, it was like a relief to go through lesson three and hear about component first, like to see a breakdown of the major themes of what I should have learned in lesson zero, one, and two. I was like, okay, like these are the major things. And it was nice to hear that not everybody had like understood what they were since we were still covering it. So I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, um, great big picture would have helped me earlier on. Um, but it was great to like get affirmed and like hear it again, even though I, I had done some good work to understand some of the pieces. So, um, it was really a nice thing to listen to and would probably like, if I were to do it again, listen like zero, one, two, and three, like up to the halfway point, and then maybe start again in lesson zero. Might be helpful to get some more context, but yeah. I'm not sure if I, that would be better or not. For me, I think uh, I was still, I'm still carrying some guilt about not uh, making a submission to Kaggle yet for the cats and dogs redux. But uh, Jeremy mentions in lesson three that if you haven't yet done the submission, you can still do it. And then that's when I kind of realized that, okay, so there are other people like me. And that was kind of uh, a nice thing to know that it's okay that I haven't yet done that. Uh, other than that, it was great to actually know the theory behind uh, convolution neural networks in an intuitive way without kind of overloading my brain and um, I'm looking forward to second cool. part of yeah. this. Um, I feel better because Aprova just said that she actually hasn't done the cats and dogs redux because I, I haven't so way better that's awesome. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, one thing that was a takeaway for me was just like seeing Jeremy from scratch discuss his different approaches on the MNIST dataset. So again, MNIST dataset is the like digits dataset, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, up to 9. I was just really cool like how he developed like different models from scratch and get really good like um, performance, even like topping some of the, 
I guess, performances in the MNIST, like, top 10. Um, so that was pretty awesome. I feel like I learned a lot from his approach. Thanks for listening to episode 6 of Startup Data Science. In the next episode, we will discuss our experiences with the second part of Lesson 3, Our Practical Deep Learning for Coders, which closes out on the topic of convolutional neural networks. Apurva, Alex, and I discuss stochastic gradient descent. Till next time.